0: This is the Andres Segovia Show.
1: Welcome to the Andres Segovia Show. I am Andres. I'm a first-generation American, born and raised in Los Angeles, and I am an admirer of what you do and those like you uh, do. You're, you're well-known mostly now basically for outing yourself uh, to, in a way, set the record straight uh, with a couple of other your colleagues. Um, I know them best as their nicknames, uh, Tonto and Tig. To set the record straight about what, what went down um, in Benghazi, Libya. And as I told you, that's been spoken ad nauseum. So anybody that's interested in checking that stuff out, uh, I've already spoken about this in the pre-recorded intro. But just in case, the book 13 Hours by um, Mitchell Zarkoff or the film of Michael Bay, people can look into that. But with respects to exactly who you are and your band of brothers there, um, for the audience who's never heard of GRS, can you explain to them what exactly that is?
0: Yeah, um, so in the private security world, for private security contractor world, you have basically two different types of contractors. You have those that are industrial contractors. So a lot of people have heard about them. There are those that work for companies like Blackwater or Heart or Dynacor, um, things like that, or companies like that. They're contracting, they're subcontractors to that company which has the contract. And then there are... Um, the uh pri- the direct hires is what we call them and that means that I was di- I was a contractor as a direct hire with the uh, Central Intelligence Agency um I-, I also like to call it the Culinary Institute of America right. um but <laughs> it is uh we're direct hires to them and I'm a contractor directly with the US government and we work for a group called GRS which is Global response staff. And our job is to be bodyguards for our country's spies, basically. Yeah. Now, is I don't know if you're uh,
1: able to answer this question, but why would the government hire private security for basically publicly funded security uh, agencies of the government? Don't we have plenty of armed forces? Why would they hire someone in private? I don't know if you know that answer or you've been asked that, but I am curious why.
0: Um, the biggest reason is all of us have, um, you know, extensive military background and for being a private contractor, private security contractor, one, um, I think a lot of it has to do with, uh, ease of deploying us to wherever they need us, uh, as a contractor, that's a direct hire. I can go anywhere that they want me to in the world. If I'm using a industrial contractor, they have to have a contract with that area that they're going to be working in. Um, if it's military, it's a completely separate branch of um, service because that's Department of Defense, which has its own chain of command. Where when you're with uh, either State Department or any of those groups, then um, it's going to be that you have some that you're working directly for them, and it's a whole different. Base scale base, all of those different things.
1: Mm, okay, and I guess in summary, from from the political standpoint, is it it cuts to a lot of red tape. It sounds yeah, I it. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so that's uh, as someone that is a small business owner, um, I know what it means to have insurance to uh, operate as an independent contractor, which is something that I, I've heard you touch on 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 one of the on your interviews or it might have been a documentary even. Um, for example, you're in California, which is pretty much if you're a small business owner, uh, you're working mostly to pay insurances off. Uh, we got general liability insurance. We have to work with compensation insurance. Um, there, We have a bond on top of that too. And sometimes you need a bond for a bond. Uh, and if that's not enough, there are particularly, that's not even counting the automotive insurance that's needed for for those of us that have vehicles and we have equipment and so on and so forth. That was a lot of insurance. I imagine as independent contractors, you guys need to have your own uh, insurance of sorts. Uh, can you speak to uh, to that? What
0: insurances are um, part? If you if you can, um, or if you have a pre existing life insurance policy, you can have that. Um, your or a pre existing health insurance that will cover you in that type of job description, which most of them don't. Mm. Um, and because of that the federal government has years ago back in i think world war ii established it's called the defense base act or it's a law that was um requires that private security or private contractors that work for the u.s government has have to have a workman's comp policy at a minimum and that's pretty much what most of us have and that's it is a workman's Mm -hmm. comp policy
1: you know, as someone that actually has to renew a, a workman's comp every single year, we have a lot of competition for our workman's compensation insurance. I imagine
0: there aren't that many options for what you do. I uh, know it has to be gone. I mean, because the uh, what we do is also um, classified mm. and there's only one group usually that has that uh, contract to provide that. Um so you have to go through the one that they tell
1: you. You go through. Wow, that sounds like a monopoly, and they control the prices. Oh man!
0: Yeah, it's 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 very interesting because, I mean, not only do you have your workman's comp policy, and now the benefit for us is it is we have to pay it up front, but then we do in our contract the government reimburses us for that workman's comp. Okay, um, but then. Also with that is underneath that, there's a, what they call a war hazards clause. So if there's any of your injuries are obtained in a act of war or anything that would replicate an act of war, the federal government pays back the insurance company 115% of all the money that they spend on taking care of you or fixing you up or um, all of that. So it's yeah. kind of like they get the double
1: debt. Yeah, that's that's really what it sounds like. It almost sounds like they would interest them uh for you to be in those situations.
0: Huh. Uh, yeah. Because you know, it's um it's interesting because like all of my injuries and I don't know I've I've heard this only. Um so I don't know for a fact if this is um completely factual, but my understanding is that the insurance companies are good at projecting costs that they're going to spend to take care of somebody based on injuries and life expectancy and things like that so they my understanding is that they bill the federal government up front after they determine what your injuries are for all of that and they come up with that number that you know mark geist got injured At the age of 40, he's going to live to be 75, or 76 is the average uh, life expectancy. Um, We will pay him roughly $5,100 a month for the next, every, you know, it's basically $60,000 a year from the age of 40 to the age of 76, Mm. so they come up with that number, they give that back, they bill that to the federal government, then they get their 15% tacked on top of that, and... It Just seems like it's a big money making, uh, money. I mean, it is what it is, and I mean, I go into it knowing that,
1: mm-hmm.
0: or at least most of the guys do, uh, to some degree, but um, I just think it's uh, there's better ways to do it, I think,
1: yeah. Um, and that, uh, it, and that touches on a lot. I've actually uh, dealt with government contracts as well, and there's you can pad these things a lot, and that explains why even in Congress, pork barrel, um, just a, a lot of pork that's added onto these bills. We go, oh, well, yeah, you can. Um, it's uh, not, not something I into get uh, into this conversation, but uh, what California is doing right now in terms of trying to alleviate housing because they want to address homelessness, uh, it's the gross mismanagement talking about a surplus while they're saying that we have record debt. That doesn't make any sense. That doesn't mean we have a surplus. But they're looking, instead of paying down debts, they're looking for new ways to spend it. And they they keep trying things that don't work uh, in the name of helping those. They've been trying to help. The programs have only exacerbated the problems. I'm actually going to talk about that in an in a upcoming episode for, uh, for that very thing, particularly because it's it, it's in the area of what I do. Now, there's a reason I'm, I'm going down this kind of line of, of making people understand uh, this, this GRS world and uh, where you come from. Uh, because I, I don't know if I mentioned it while, while we were now recording, but um, basically the, the Benghazi terrorist attack is something that it exposed or at least brought to uh, awareness to uh, to GRS. Uh, I first started learning about them uh, around uh, when Black Riffle Coffee started taking off. Um, I really respect those guys despite some of the political... Uh, uh, kind of fires that have been happening recently there's outrage culture everywhere I'm not, I'm not addressing that but um I was listening to matt best tell his his side of the story every time he came back from a tour uh he he basically couldn't assimilate to civilian life and he just wanted to go back out there and even uh, you your you know your colleague a uh, uh, tonto just hearing him talk uh even reminiscing every time he's they bring this up. He's like, "I want to go back out there." It's like, "Oh!" And on Instagram, it looks like he's getting ready to go back out there. Like he's <laughs> he is keeping in shape. So it's like oh, this dude is serious. Um, with uh respects to um people like that uh, that serve and and don't stop serving. Uh, I believe there there is a point where it's like, uh, okay, you maxed out here. You can't serve any more tours. You either choose to be a career uh, military. Guy going up the ranks right. of general or whatever, or contracting. Um, normally, when people think about this, they probably think, oh, mercenary or guns for hire. And I think that's uh, uh, I think that's too um, broad. I would reserve that for more of the guerrilla warfare in my Hispanic country south of the border. Yeah. But, but with respects to what, why would, oh, I guess this is a little more personal, why did you get into contracting?
0: Uh, You know, I spent 12 years in the Marine Corps. I got out. I was in law enforcement for about a little bit over six years. Uh, Worked crimes against children as a deputy for a local county sheriff. And then I was chief of police in a small town. And I just, when we got, when the war kicked off, it was just a way to get back into serving my country and serving the people of this country. Um, And that was the easiest route to do it and get one is the best gain for me or the best use of my skills. And it also afforded me a better way to, to, to make a decent living. Um, now the downside, you know, is going into the contracting world is you don't have, you know, you got to provide everything. You don't have this family support services. You don't have, you know, the insurance, any of that stuff. And and you go into it, understanding that, um, you know, and, and like you said, I mean, the difference between contractors and mercenaries is contractors are are doing jobs where it's not offensive action. Mm-hmm. There is at no time did we go out seeking to go, you know, doing like a direct action mission or going in doing something where we're going to go, um, which would be offensive or doing a infantry or special forces kind of action. Uh, what we did was protect people. That was our job was to provide protection for others and if they got shot at, then we had the right to defend ourselves and defend them. Mm-hmm. But never at any time did we want to I mean, and we worked in small groups, so at no time do you ever want to get into a gunfight anyways. I mean our idea my my idea of security is not being seen, not being heard and staying below the radar. Yeah. Yeah and it's a great point. I'm, seriously I, I'm honored
1: that there are people like you out there because uh, uh, God knows we need more so it's in the case of uh, as I brought up Matt Bester on Black Rifle Coffee uh, to him he, he could not assimilate and uh, his drive was to uh, feel that adrenaline rush I guess you would uh, I, I guess uh, those that have served would know what, uh, what, what that, that means so he kept going to contract I don't know how many uh, contracts he ended up doing but then when he came back and was basically forced uh, into civilian life so to speak that's how Black Coffee really uh, came about with him and his partner, Evan. So um, that that worked out uh, fantastic because then uh, their mission to employ 10,000 veterans, so well, they have more power to them. I'm excited for yeah. that. Um, but that's just it. That uh, after the uh, the first Persian Gulf War, war, uh, PTSD became something that uh, people were more aware of. Uh, people didn't really understand that. And now uh, it, that's even something that's in the, in the NFL to some extent with the concussions that that's like you knew about it but didn't do something about it so now what now to those that suffered from it or suffer uh, different things uh it, it, there's, a, there's a lot that isn't really being addressed and people just want to either throw more money at it uh with uh, services that don't address um the root cause instead they're just trying to treat the symptoms um for which is why it's uh, I don't think that problem's going to get solved just like that because they're not getting into the the heart of the issue, um, which is something that I guess we'll get into in a bit. You had mentioned uh, something with respect to injuries, and this kind of goes along why I was building up to this because I didn't catch it the first time. Um, I, there's some captures at the end of the, the film, 13 Hours. I'm like, wait a minute, did I read that right? So I'm going to touch on that, but I have a, a very close family friend try, just trying to get um, his the mail out of his mailbox at the front of his house. He lives by himself. And as he was going over to get it, uh, there was a planter that was uh, basically... He had, he had had that uprooted. So that was basically a ditch. And I don't know how this might have happened, but unfortunately, he tripped and fell and landed on both of his forearms, basically breaking. So he could not reach out for help. All he could do be there screaming by himself. So the the process that it has been for him to even get back to get some functions of his hand has been quite a journey uh, uh, to just even be able to write his name because he loves writing checks. Uh, It was one of those old school types. So um, that was quite something uh, to to, to basically see and involve him because he and my father are very close friends that um, my father was with him um, for a lot of that uh, recovery journey. Some might not be aware of your injury, uh, can can you let my audience know of, of what injury you sustained
0: um, during um, the infamous day? Well, the, the the most visible one was um, my, I, and I I start this off with the fact that I was left-handed, um, but my left arm, uh piece of shrapnel went through it, disintegrated two inches of the radial bone, two inches of the median nerve, uh, shattered the ulna, and Basically a piece of skin here and a piece of skin and, and, a little bit of meat down here was all that was holding it on. Uh, it was pretty much, if you've seen them, anybody out there of your viewers who have seen the movie, um, they did a great job of making it uh, look real uh, in, in the movie. But um, so that was my major, that was probably the major injury that was visible. But uh, the only other one, the other one they showed kind of in the movie was um, I had a got lacerated on my neck. That's trapped. will get my neck and it was, um, as my wife says, because when my wife, uh, first saw me or when I first talked to her, she asked if I was okay. And I says, yeah, I broke my arm and I got a few scratches. Um, and, uh, when she saw me in the hospital, she's like, well, your arm, your arm seems to be okay, but it looks like they about took your head off too. Oh man. But, um, and, but totally, I had another roughly about 20 to 25 holes in me from shrapnel, um, four or five pieces in the chest up and down both arms and legs, uh, um, along here in my eyes the only thing that saved my sight probably was i had night vision goggles on so Mm. um you know the movie did a good job depicting the major ones but there was a bunch of other minor ones too that came along with that yeah and and that tends to uh be what there's always so much that can be said
1: or shown or even understood uh in a film that's what i can't tell you how many times i've seen that movie and every time i pick up a different nuance which is to Tells me that uh, Michael Bay really did his job and research. Um, I don't know if you were among those that were brought onto the set before they started filming when they recreated the compound. Uh, I know, I know, Tanta was there, uh, but uh, they're like, whoa, this is like pretty legit. Um, I actually showed some pictures of the of, of both the set and the actual attack, and I showed my wife and friends like, tell me which one is the film and which one is the is the real thing. They're like, whoa, I know that was attention to detail considering how quickly the director moves but i don't want i don't want want, want to get stat with the film because i could i'm a big film junkie and um this is probably my favorite military movie of all but with with respect to that the the reason it's important is because at the end of the film it talks about you being re-enlisted uh to be treated for your wounds because again as someone as a small business owner uh there's been accidents even uh during the course of 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 work is construction, so uh, it happens. Um, these things are very, very expensive. And in some cases, or well, not some, but most cases, Workman's Comp is there to try to find out how not to pay for the injuries. <laughs> and in in your situation, um, knowing what happened to, 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 my, to my friend that I consider an uncle, and how, how hard it was for him to come back from that, and he hasn't entirely fully come back from that, uh, I can't imagine how expensive that must have been. And you just talked about how many more holes you said you you got in. Yeah, oh, can we talk about it? this? Was the was it the small rockets
0: fire, which I'm assuming was an RPG, or was it the mortar or or a combination of both? Main, mainly the mortars. the The RPG hit the wall out in front of us. Um, luckily, the bad guys weren't very good shooters, and most of the rounds hit um, either went past us or below us. But what really got me was the mortars, and it's, there was three of them that landed on the rooftop. And they were 81 millimeter mortars. And and this gives you an idea of, so an 81 millimeter mortar is about three and a half inches um, in diameter and has a kill radius of 132 feet, which means that if you're within 132 feet, you have about a 98, 99% chance of dying. Um, And this, I mean, this is where I know that, you know, the Lord, the Lord was watching over me, had his protection on me that night because... I was within 15 to 17 feet of three of them. So I, there, there's really no reason I should have lived. I mean, I should have died three times that night on the rooftop alone. And, uh, and for whatever reason, the blast went through me and actually killed Ty, who was standing on the opposite side of me. Um, you know, and, and Hmm. for why that happened, I have no answer other than it's God's purpose. Uh, and, uh, and who am I to question him?
1: Yeah. And as a fellow brother in Christ, I can tell you that uh, this is that purpose. You're you started something here, uh, the Shadow Warriors Project, that brings attention to all this. Um, I've taken a uh, time to address what basically no one's talked about. They only like to talk about the event itself and the politics thereof, and and this and that. That's not what interests me. It, what interests me is that uh, this just highlights things that uh, there are those that do this and nobody knows about them. Um, and it's a, there really isn't much available to them in terms of, of recourse or resources, even benefits, uh, so to speak, to, to tend to them, especially when all the attention, and I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but um, a lot of attention when we do speak of our veterans, we think mostly of those that uh, uh, served uh, publicly, if you will. Um, and a lot of the charities and organizations are meant for that. And now, I guess I got to give a trigger warning for some people here. I did not know this. This is actually something I saw last night. Um, uh, uh, Donald Trump Jr. was actually uh, uh, bringing awareness to also bring up uh, some, some kind of fundraiser for uh, the organization as well. Uh, you mentioned that, that you both are friends, which uh, I think is pretty awesome. I imagine that was because you guys met on the campaign trail. But I, it's that's something I wanted, I wanted to admit to. But I am bringing it up because... Um, there's more big voices need to lend more to this. Um, okay. Now, compared to him, I'm, I'm a small fry. But for those that, that know me, I will not stop talking about uh, your organization. I heard one was brought up like, yeah, finally, somebody. So there is your answer for why you walked out of there. Um, mm-hmm. That you're the first. Um, and we are going to... I don't know how much time I have with you, but I, I do want to get to what the Shadow Wars is now doing and the, the K9 Project and all that. Um but with it, the serious injury, um, it, I'm assuming that's why we, you were re-enlisted, so to speak, so they can uh, try to cover the expenses
0: uh, thereof. Um, yes, and the other part of it was because, um, unfortunately, it got turned into a political football that was getting tossed back and forth. And the amount of publicity that it was getting, because um, what they did is, the easiest way to explain it to people on the movie where they would understand it is that I got reenlisted. What really was is I had direct, I had the, the, um, Department of Defense, the director of the Department of Defense gave me authorization to utilize military facilities to get my life-saving injuries, which are my major injuries taken care of. Um, and that was, you know, because they had the expertise at Walter Reed to take care of my arm and some of my other injuries where a civilian hospital, as good as they are, they don't have as much experience in blast injuries as they did mm-hmm. in Walter Reed. The number one hand surgeon in the army was the guy that treated me. And, uh, and that's, he was phenomenal. Um, but that's, that's kind of what explained that was just the easier way of explaining what the, uh, DOD directive was that allowed me to have access to, to my uh, to the military care system, at least for that purpose. Yeah, and the, and
1: that, that's why when I saw that uh, recently, I, I, about a week ago since we we're recording this, I'm like, hold on, I need to know what that means. Because <laughs> for so, I, I've been in the political arena of ideas for about 18 years, um, and before the politics, uh, I, I was involved in a lot of uh, doctrine and the, theological. i was born and raised a, a Christian. Did it make me a Christian? Uh, but uh, when I accepted Christ as my personal savior, um, I, I still wasn't entirely sure what I was doing. I got baptized at 16, but I say I don't. I didn't start living for him until I was perhaps almost 18. Um, and, and that's someone coming from uh, dealing with uh, uh, a lot of depression. Uh, I'm a suicide survivor. I said that five times. And I'm like, God, why won't you let me die? Satan won't let me live. So uh, all that is to say that... Uh, he said he has a purpose for me and I, uh, and like, I'll go with it. Uh, I didn't want to live, but uh, you're saying there's a purpose for me. Fine. I'll yield over to you. And so like, I guess there's a reason for it. I mean, I didn't ask to be born, but all right, I'm here now. So um, that, that's, uh, that's kind of where, where um, I was uh, brought up. I'm not even entirely sure where I went on that segue, but uh, <laughs> but there it is. So uh, I never, I actually never talked about this on my show. So um, here I am opening up a little more, I, I guess, because this is, I guess you could say this has been entirely personal to me in a way, um, both 9-11 attacks. This is the one that really is is washed under because of, they say most people still think it's a YouTube video. Ridiculous. Um, and I think that's why I take it personally. It's like, no, uh, and it's because of that, that people like you are not taking it as seriously and like, no, we, they need to, to be taken seriously. I mean, I will stay in this question for the end, but I think the, the, the way we're building up to that I think it segues nicely. People don't understand uh, individuals like yourself mm-hmm. that put others above themselves. And you were not uh, at, the, at the annex when uh, this stuff started going down. Um, I, I, I just, the film tells it in one way, but the point is you were off-site. Yep. But I imagine had you been on-site, you would have left with your brothers too uh, to the villa.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah, if I if I had been out in town by myself without a female without a female case officer, I mean my job is to make sure she survives and get her back to safety. And I've been out there by myself. I'd have just went straight over to uh, to take care of what needed to be taken care of over at the consulate. Um, you know, and that's it's really what it is about. A lot of us that are in the military, um, it's serving that something bigger in ourselves. And and you know, and I get into debates with people a lot about um personal service or selfishness versus selfless service mm. and that selfless service is you know our service is to the Constitution and that Constitution allows people to disagree with me and I support that Constitution that allows us to have a difference of opinion to have all those rights even if I disagree with somebody um I'm willing to sacrifice and die for that for them to have the same rights as me um, and every other American out there. And that's, I think that's sometimes where it's lost and why a lot of people, you know, get offended that are in the military because people don't understand why they serve. And that service is something bigger than ourselves. It's, and it it's to the people of this country to make sure that we, we have the freedoms that we have and you know being memorial day and all of that i mean it's it's all of those who have died have gone before us to make sure that exists yeah and it's sad how um um
1: a lot of people don't even know why there's a memorial day um i actually pre-recorded the intro to this uh because it was getting close to press time as they say and it's like you know what uh we we pushed the schedule around a, a little bit but i'm still going to pre-shoot. Uh, I shot it like almost two weeks ago. Uh, the intro and I talk about how I think it was a Prager U video that I saw. A man on the street uh, interviews. Why do we have a Memorial Day? Why do we have a Memorial Day? A lot of people think it's kind of like July 4th. Oh, you know, it's just a, uh, I guess something to do with um, Independence Day. Like, it's got nothing to do with it. Uh, and it's like, wow, really? Uh, if anything, I guess you could say there's two days set aside uh, to remember our veterans. Uh, one, because Armistice Day, there'll never be another great war again. 20 years later and it's like oh yeah that didn't last long uh, yeah it, it's called human nature <laughs> we're, uh, we're d- designed to just be at each other's throats um so uh turning into veterans day like uh, uh, for my before i became like a video platform i was doing podcasts i, w- I would do a, a ceremonial thing where like hey thank a vet um but um lately in these past couple of years I'm like you know what we need more to remember the fallen to. Fall and not enough is being done for that uh, and like i had said at the onset there is this theme of forgotten that uh, is uh, it's very well driven in the film, like to really hit hard. Uh, and the soundtrack by Lauren Balf is just absolutely amazing, um, particularly because uh, the uncut song is about nine and a half minutes long. And he took a lot of uh, this is me getting into the compositional stuff. Um, he took a lot of cues from from his teacher Hans Zimmer, uh, who did a Thin Red Line, also a great soundtrack, um, and called Drink to the Line. So it builds it crescendos into this emotional. Um, like impact and in the film when I uh, because I heard the soundtrack before the film I was actually one of those that was turned off by the reviews that's why I didn't see the film and that's how political that whole thing became It's like oh Michael Bay did a movie so you know it's not a good movie you don't have to go see that it's not a good movie and i like and I bought into that until co-workers of mine told me that they couldn't stop crying it's like okay what's going on here Uh, crying like uh, Bruce Willis done at the end of Armageddon kind of crying what are we talking about because of Michael Bay film um, so, but I had heard the soundtrack. So here in the context of it, and they did in the scene uh, that they use the the music is the moment where the, uh, the CIA, uh, or, or worker, the gal, she's making phone calls, to try to get some kind of help, uh, to, uh, to the annex, like look under attack, we're alone here at least just send some jets. And the shot is in silence. The jets are on the tarmac. They're not going anywhere. It's that theme of forgotten that uh, continues to be like something that, 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 like, it's kind of like a, a dark cloud over all this. And it's almost like political people want this to be swept away because if they bring attention to your organization, they have to bring attention to the incident that in of it itself as a political football. it's like, why can't we just see what happened? And we, the politics be damned. There are Americans that needed help. We didn't help them. And if it wasn't for, six guys on the ground that literally <laughs> were protecting and serving people that they don't know for the most part. It's, it's, it's amazing. And, and that, I guess that kind of leads to, to, the, to this question because I, I built it up. Had you, been, uh, had you been at the annex and then it all went down, you would have gone, you're in enemy territory. Mm-hmm. You can't tell friend from foe. And like you said, you're trying to keep a low profile. What the heck would drive somebody to go through all that hostile terrain to get to a place that you don't know how many people are there. You can hear the motor, probably the, the rock of the the small horn spire at this place. You can hear the screams over the radio. Why would you, undermand try to go there to save people you don't know? What kind of mindset is that?
0: You know, it's, uh, it's, it's, that selfless service it's being a part of something bigger than i mean it's making a difference in somebody else's life um i mean a in a kind of another way of looking at it it's like seeing somebody who falls down or is in a car wreck and driving by or that person that stops which mm-hmm. one do you want to be you know, I've got, I'm in a hurry to get to work or do I want to stop and help this person? Mm. And I'm just that kind of person that would stop and help. Um, it's because I just, it's, I don't know. It's, it's just, what's been ingrained in me from, from childhood. Uh, you know, I grew up, my hero was my grandfather. He served in world war two. He was a tank commander. He was in North Africa. He was in, um, the push across Germany had five purple hearts, a silver star, a broad star. I mean, I had three uncles that served in the military. So that sense of being a part of something bigger than yourself and, and actually making a difference in other people's lives, um, for whatever reason, just resonates with who I am. And if you look at everything I've done, I got out, I became a, you know, a law enforcement officer because I got to serve other people. I worked crimes against children because I wanted to serve those that couldn't protect themselves, um, and I went back into contracting because I wanted to help those who couldn't help themselves, or at least make the, make it easier for them to help themselves. And uh, and and to put a to put a moniker or a name on, I don't know what it is. It's just who I am,
1: and that's really awesome. Um, because it's, it's not something you have to think about. You just do. Yeah. And I the it. it touch on the movie a little bit again because probably the only way people are ever going to really find out more about it. Pick up a book, people. Read books. It's more detailed. You, there's always so much you could put into a movie. But you use the analogy of a car wreck and you're pulling over to help somebody because within your nature. I guess the difference in the situation that happened September 7, 2012 was if you pull over and help that person that got, uh, that is in that car wreck you will be fine probably, but mostly you'll be fired from your job and that business will make sure to tell everyone within that industry that you are not allowed to work in that industry ever again. That's something that's really, uh, it's, 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 it is mentioned in passing in the film. Uh, John which uh, it's, it's between uh, Jan, uh, James Bashdell and, and John Krasinski, it's the, the dialogue, say goodbye to contracting work, but you can't put a press with, the, with yourself. That's something that's missed entirely here. In right. that it's not just helping somebody that was in a car wreck, you're literally giving everything to go help them, and that's something that y- y- you and your brothers were not thinking of. It's like
0: we got to help them, let's go. And-, and and that's exactly it. I mean, they we knew that they were um, always undermanned over there, we knew that they're level of experience was it's not as as great as ours as they team their team versus ours i mean together if you put the six of us and all of our service to the country together it's over 100 years of service wow um where you put those guys at the state department security team um total service would probably less than 30 years you know and most of ours was of our guys it was all on the higher end of the special ops community um it was a lot of combat related type experience and and that made and i think part of that made the difference is you know it's we knew that they would have difficulties and defending themselves and when they came over their team leader came over the radio and he said if you don't get here now we're gonna all die And there was a few expletives in there as well, but you could, you know, when I'm driving back with the female case officer, I had my radio on, I could hear it as well. And I heard that. And you could hear the fear in their voice and you could hear the fact that they were going to, I mean, there's, they would most likely die had we not gone over there. And, um, our guys were willing to go over there in spite of that. And, and I don't know how you could, how anybody could be any different than, you know, um, somebody's hanging off a cliff and you stand back because you're afraid of heights or you reach down and grab them and save them. Yeah. Uh, it's just, uh, I don't think there's any way other to live life other than to be a part of something bigger. And I think that's part of that's my Christian heritage and, uh, the foundation that I have in that as well. I mean, somebody asked me early on was, uh, were you afraid to die and I'm like, why would I be afraid of dying? And they're like, well, you'd be dead. And I'm like, one of two things was going to happen that night. I was either going to live and come home and be with my family, which is phenomenal. Or I was going to die and go home and be with the Lord, which is phenomenal. So tell me where the downside is to any of it. Yeah. Um, you know, and that's that's just the way I approach that kind of thing. That, that's the way I approach life. Um, I would rather make a difference in people's lives than not.
1: Yeah, uh, it's Tonto that it, Chris. Um, he's the the one that has on. Uh, I saw on a news clipping once, um, and the the main hallway entering his house, he has the the verse, "Greater love has no man than this to, to lay his life down for another." Um, it's like, yeah, coming from him it means it means a lot because he was talking about his brothers that laid down their lives. So it's um, yeah, it's it, and we we do need more more of that, and it's. Uh, along those lines, having said all this, for why uh, your purpose, uh, as I see, because you're doing God's work, has been creating uh, the Shadow Warriors project uh, with your wife crystal, right? You you, you both uh, did this, and it's to to honor um, those that uh, um, that served like you, just uh, to to remove this uh, this. Like I said, I brought up mercenaries because people think guns for hire are gentlemen junkies and all that. So, no, that's that's not what these guys are. Don't pick them with a, a, a broad brush. That's uh, that's like, it's it's prejudice, really, when uh, we look at it that way. So uh, that's why I wanted to take the time for you to basically dive into that and explain yeah. your mindset, because then that 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 really drives home the purpose behind Shadow Warriors Project to help those uh, that uh, served and suffered, uh, like you did. Uh, and, and those that continue in silence. So, um, I, I, can, can you, can you tell us, uh, one of the big things that's been going on was, the uh, last year you guys got the canine project. Uh, so, but now that's like really expanding. Uh, can you, can you touch on that? Uh, for those that uh, are not aware?
0: Yeah. So, uh, you know, I was blessed with the, a group that gave me a service dog. It's a Belgian Malinois. Um, and where they come from is a group, as a breeding group uh, up in Canada called Baden Canine, B-A-T-E-N. It's Baden Canine. They, they've been breeding and raising uh, the shepherd breeds, which are German shepherds, Dutch shepherds, and German sh- uh, shepherds for 50 years now, um, roughly. And um, I was, since I was blessed with receiving my dog and, and the difference that it made in my life uh in a lot of aspects that I never, it took me a while to realize. Um, I wanted to share that. Me and my wife wanted to be able to share that with other contractors, uh, private security contractors and other veterans uh, because there's a special connection that we have with, with dogs, especially dogs. I mean, animals in general, but you know, I, most people don't think of it like this, but dogs are the only animal that will leave their own kind to come be with us there is a special connection that we have with dogs. I think that um, me personally, I think that their dogs were put on this earth by the Lord, by God to be our companions. Um, I don't believe that they're descendants of the wolf. And I know that goes against science, but um, you know, it's uh, tell me a wolf that will leave its own kind to come be with us. They don't. And uh, there's a, there's a certain, I call it a vibration that we share with this animal Uh, and and they help us heal emotionally, physically. There's a lot of things that they provide as a service dog, as a, as, as a canine service dog. And so we wanted to share that with, with other veterans since uh, it, we were blessed with that. And, and from that, we, you know, we can only breed enough dogs, especially the high-end dogs like this, that uh, Roan is, um, and we can only do, you know, give away maybe 10, 15 dogs a year at best.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um So we decided to expand it one step further is, you know, I grew up farming and ranching and around animals and horses. I've, uh, since I've gotten injured and, you know, I've, I've been aware of a lot of equine therapy programs um, where they're pairing PSD uh, individuals that have PTSD to, or PTS, I mean, that have PTS with uh, equines with horses. Well, we decided to do the same thing with uh, canines and we call it a canine therapy program where we bring in 10 combat vets, um, anywhere between eight to 10. We introduce them to the Lord. Um, we don't prostatize. I, I'm not going to force you to do whatever. I think we're going to plant the seed and love on you and let the Lord work and do his work, but introduce you to the Lord, introduce you to the dog and through the dogs, through these canines, teach you how to manage your anxiety and your stress because those dogs are great at helping us with that. And then the third, the third uh, leg in the tripod is to, uh, to get everyone to tell their story. I mean, all of us, not just your combat story, but your life story, because so many of us that joined the military, a lot of times we're either running from something or to something or a combination Mm -hmm. of the two. And we show up in the military with a bucket already half full of trauma because you know, we had we we're single parents or we you know had no parents or we were abused physically sexually emotionally whatever the case may be and if you don't empty that bucket sometimes it gets full and if it does that's when it comes out and affects us and the, and those that we love so much and so we really try to do that peer to peer support and peer to peer counseling by bringing guys and gals together that have served in combat that can understand one another and and do it in a small enough group where they're it's intimate enough where they're not afraid to share, mm-hmm. but it's and it's but it's not so 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 small that um, it's too intimate and uh, and we've just seen great things come of it um, and it's just phenomenal because this way we can run one of these at least once a month and that's over a hundred people that we can do uh, that we can help every year and and, and it's the follow on work that comes with it because these small groups end up sticking together and communicating and staying in touch with each other. And as things grow and as their, 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 their walk grows both within the group with the dogs and with the Lord. And it, it's a, it's phenomenal what we see from it. Yeah. And that's why, uh, I,
1: i hold on to the belief that there is such thing as a doggy heaven, because I'm looking forward to seeing my dog again. <laughs> and it's just, is that if not, that's like the only thing that could challenge my faith in God. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, uh, yeah, I, I unfortunately um, I had a part ways with my dog. Um, had lived uh, quite a long time, but uh, it wasn't his time just yet. It's just an unfortunate accident when uh, uh, a friend with a vehicle was uh, came near my dog. So we had to make a decision, and everybody turned to me and says, "Hey, um, so we're gonna leave the choice up to you." It's like I held that puppy when the mom pushed it out. I that was. Hard, um, and I, and I buried him. I was like, no, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna bury him in my house. And uh, my brother felt for me. He's like, hey, uh, here's a dog uh, for you. It's like, no, that, that's not how it works, man. Uh, I build the bond. You can't just bring me a dog that I, that you chose for me and say this is for me. But here's the, the, the in between was interesting. Before uh, months before my dog passed, um, there was a, a litter of kittens that were born under in, in the rose. Uh, bushes, and I'm shocked that uh, two of them decided to stay behind, and they they bonded with my dog. So now that my dog's gone, I'm not a cat lover at all. Uh, if anybody knows me, I, I I hate cats. If anything, they're the ones that that it's like there was a, a joke that I saw yesterday, it reminded me of it. Uh, two uh, two dogs and a cat. They go um, before the Lord, and and got a uh, they go over each dog. I think one was a Labrador, and the other one was a um, a German Shepherd and they're sort of going through every personality trait that these dogs have and God said okay you sit to my left you sit to my right and then the cat what are you uh, what are you here for and the cat's like I believe you're in my seat says the cat like that's that's the thing <laughs> that's what cats do it's like what do you do all day <laughs> it's, so it's like I'm only here when I want something so that's been my, my thing against cats but this cat every time I see him because he comes he finds me he looks for me he, he's an outdoor cat uh, and it's been a, uh, just over two years now I'm Like, why? When I see you, do I just think about my dogs? It's the only cat that's uh that calls to me, knows where I am, and follows me wherever. Knows what time I come home from work. He's he's there. It's like, hey, you're home. I need to be fed too. But hey, you're home from work. Um, so it, it it's something that that bond with animals, as you mentioned, is is important uh and key. Something that my dad talked to me about when he was growing up in the Salvador. Um, he and his dog, uh, five, six, uh, seven years old, just sitting out there in the cornfields, looking over the stuff, you know, just, just him and his dog, looking up at the stars and, and all that. So yeah, it, it is amazing. And uh, thank you uh, so much for your time. So I'm gonna leave it for one la- last question here, because uh, for, those, for those that uh, are interested, you can go to www.shadowwarriorsproject.org to learn more um, and how you know, they can help um, with the effort to, and that, as your organization does, help those that uh, suffer inside it. Um, this is more of an all-encompassing thing, where the the, the polarized world that we live in today, uh, it, and hearing a story like yours, where actual violence versus words are violence, um, how and the trauma that you've also sustained with with all this that's happened, and how often if, if this is brought up, it's become a like let's talk about the politics of it, like again and how do you shut out all that noise how do you just put it off like i got to do what i got to do how how do you how do you do that is there any advice that you can give to those that uh, in their own field of work or or lives that there's a lot of noise constantly and they just got to like set their mind to focus on what they got to do you know
0: the first thing i do is um i away from social media relatively uh right i shouldn't say i stay away from it i limit my exposure to it Um mm. uh, and i and same with the news is uh you know it's we look to the news i like watching local news and stuff that's yeah. very pertinent to um you know our media lives and and i think the other outlook i have is uh i look to both from politics as well as I don't look to Washington DC to solve my problems. Yeah. I can't, I can't figure out what problems they've really solved ever. And that's not the left or the right. That's just anything within the beltway. Um, How often have they solved the problem? And if they have, it's, I mean, it's not, it's not many times. And most of the times they make problems bigger and their whole idea I think is, um, is to keep us separated they want me and you to disagree because of our ethnicity or our uh, um our sexuality or or our you know our gender or whatever instead of you know cuz no matter what our differences are we have far more similarities um to each other as a human race than anything and if we would focus as much time on those similarities as we do getting distracted with the differences um and i think that's the that's the work of the devil anyways it's uh it's fear and hate he wants me and you to fear and hate each other um because if we do then he can exercise his authority over us where uh if we love one another for being people for being mankind no matter what the differences are um and again i go back to i can i can disagree with somebody and still love them i can love him as a human being and forgive him for whatever and I hope people are able to do the same with me. Cause by far, do I walk? I'm, I mean, I've made mistakes all the time in my life, um, but uh, it's uh, it's just, it's caring. It's giving a crap about each other. Yeah. Uh, and not let that outside noise. And if we focus on that love for one another, instead of all that white noise or whatever you want to call it, that's, that's trying to get us to hate and fear each other. Um, life is so much easier. Life is so much easier and so much better.
1: Yeah, definitely. And it's on that note that I, that we'll leave it here with with the interview. Uh, Mark Osgeist, uh, I still can't believe I'm I'm actually speaking with you. (laughs) Uh, It's it's, uh, an honor and a a pleasure to have had you here on the Onverse Egovia show. Thank you so much for your time.
0: I appreciate it, thank you so much. You have a wonderful day. It was great talking.
1: Yeah, likewise, sir and god bless you your your wife and your entire organization um and well yeah uh, i help what i can when i can and i'm gonna keep doing so
0: well thank you again thank you so much for your support and all your listeners god bless y'all um you know find a cause get behind it be a part of something bigger than yourself amen or somebody else
1: amen to that